Welcome to Circus Voices, brought to you by CircusTalk.com. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee Iverson from In Center Ring. Circus Talk is the leading online career and casting marketplace for circus and performing arts, and an essential resource for circus and multidisciplinary artists and talent seekers. Circus Talk offers job listings, career development content, and a talent database that talent seekers use for hiring. Our podcast features engagement conversations with international experts, including professional artists and talent seekers, creative leaders, influential coaches and teachers, and industry innovators. These interviews offer you insight into the diverse and dynamic world of circus and performing arts. And now, Circus Voices presents Circus Reimagined. In this four-part episodic series, we invite industry leaders who are boldly and creatively reimagining the circus like never before. In this episode, we welcome Brazil's Juno Nadal, co-founder of Cia Fundo Mundo. Celebrated for their provocative yet inviting performances, Cia Fundo Mundo seeks to inspire a new generation of transgendered and non-binary artists to explore their own stories through the ever-evolving medium of the circus arts. Well, hello, friends. I am here with a wonderful, wonderful circus founder and artist and journalist. You do like so many things. You're, you're like this amazing <laughs> uh, ball of dynamic energy. Um, I'm happy that you're here, my <laughs> friend and yours, Juno Nadal, all the way from Brazil, one of my favorite places in the world. I have to say that because I'm married to a Brazilian, uh, but really, <laughs> truly, it is one of my favorite places. And Juno is one of the artists I've come to respect. So first and foremost, uh, tudo bom? <laughs> tudo bem. Thank you for having me here today. Of course, of course. And what are you currently um, doing right now? Because you have so many talents. You have so many things you do. You're a musician. You're a journalist. You know, web design. You, you've got all these things going. You're a circus founder. What are you doing right now? <laughs> Right now, I've been working with circus, but more um, an audiovisual-based circus. We're like venturing into movie making, and I've been working with um, web designing and um, all that. It's kind of it's kind of a mix, <laughs> mix it's a thing. Okay, okay, I got you. So, I mean, you're basically dipping into most of your different talents all together. Yes. Right. I really, um, yes. I remember our conversation and you were really speaking a great deal about your journalistic work. Um, and I remember we were talking about a lot with regards to the trans community. And it was really interesting because you're in Brazil, which we know is a hotbed uh, with regards to the trans community. Um, it's, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's the number one country in the world that, uh, where it's very dangerous for trans individuals uh, to be. Um, and in spite of all of that, you founded a circus uh, exclusively <laughs> with trans artists, transvestite artists, uh, uh, non-binary artists. So, I mean, you know, I think here you are in a hotbed where it's you're in a place where it's very hostile <laughs> to people in your community. And you say, well, I'm going to bring a circus. Why was that so important for you to create a circus in such an environment? I, I brought some data to support what I'm going to share, but uh, it's not an easy task to be transgender in Brazil, as you said. Um, especially now that we are living under the government of a militiaman. Bolsonaro supports illegal mining in the Amazon forest. He supports political violence. He supports um, state necropolitics on black and indigenous communities. He supports the persecution of social minorities. So we are living hard times here, but um, According to this uh, trans murder monitoring report, 
Brazil was the most dangerous place for being transgender and queer. In 2021, Brazil reported the majority of the murders in the whole world. There were 125 murders reported. Mm. It means that 33% of all murders registered in the whole world happened in Brazil. And most of them were black and indigenous sex workers. So the average age of those murdered is 30 years old. I am currently 28 to 29 years old. Um, most of them, most of uh, transgender teenagers get expelled from their households when they are about 14 years old. So it's a very hostile place to be transgender. And um, in the middle of that, we felt like we needed to do something to, to change this reality. But uh, first of all, I must acknowledge that I come from a place of privilege. I mean, I've been raised in a middle, middle class family. Uh, my mother is a professor. I managed to graduate to get a master's degree. And to, to Brazilian standards, I am white. So, um, in fact, racism in Brazil doesn't operate much regarding ancestry because, matter of fact, we all have black and Native American ancestry. But it operates by erasing our black and Native American ancestry while establishing white European as civilizational model. So people with lighter skin in Brazil, they are thought to have more of an European ancestry, while those with darker skin are taken to have more Native American and African ancestry. Thus, they are more subjected to discrimination and uh, police violence, unemployment and poverty. It is structural racism. It is the foundation of every Brazilian institution, and it is a horrible legacy of colonization. So because of this context, I somehow managed to fulfill my basic needs, while others like me couldn't do that. I have friends that cannot afford to pay for food or water or basic health care. So in the middle of that, we want to use our places of privilege to make a change because we feel that we cannot succeed, even though we are succeeding by being alive and paying our bills, but we cannot succeed alone. We must offer a counterpart for our community so that we can thrive collectively. And this is where art came in. I mean, uh, my journey with circus started pretty much at the same time we founded our circus company. It was in 2018. And back then, we were all friends. We were all transgender in this small town. We lived on an island. And uh, we all agreed on the, the desire of performing together. But back then, I didn't think I was going to become a circus artist. I had problems with circus and humor and comedy. And the main reason for that is that I used to feel misrepresented by humor. And I used to feel uncomfortable with the ways humor portrayed my identity and my experiences as transgender. And more than that, I understand that the jokes usually are usually based on um, transphobic, racist, ableist ideas, and I didn't want to get along with that. So it had the power to push me away from circus arts for a long time. One day, this friend of mine came and, and told me that um, there was this um, transgender teacher nearby, and he taught circus lessons, and he taught in this 
um, circus called the Clown's House. It was near the sea, near to a beautiful beach. And the very idea of taking circus lessons from a transgender teacher in a small town, a small conservative town next to a beautiful beach, uh, it seemed magical to me. And I, I suddenly felt like I wanted to try it. And I did. And then I met Louis. Louis was a teacher, and Louis is one of the members and co-founders of Sia Fundo Mundo. We got along, we became friends, and we called other transgender friends, and we decided to start this company and to create a show. We realized we all shared the same discomfort with humor. We all felt misrepresented by circus narratives, and we wanted to make something about it. So we created this show called Sui Generis. It is a mix of aerial acrobatics, um, poetry, hula hoop techniques, and um, clownery. And we discuss gender identity, sexual diversity, and social problems, but much more in a provocative acid tone. And we were surprised by how our audiences were so engaged with our narratives. They were suddenly engaged. And after that, we started traveling and performing in other towns and states. And it was a valuable experience, but it wasn't always positive. I mean, um, sometimes we would uh, receive threats, um, death threats. Sometimes we would receive uh, a standing ovation. It was always a surprise. And, um, but most of the time, most of the times we face what we call um, institutional transphobia. I mean, spaces are not open and ready to validate uh, transgender artists. They don't know how to respect or pronounce our names. They, they just don't know how to deal with this. So um, they try to put obstacles to us doing our jobs. Um, sometimes when uh, circus producers or directors discover who we are, they try to um, change the rating of our show without consulting us. So they try to change it to adults-only performance. And they do that by assuming that we are uh, necessarily um, performing a pornographic show because we are transgender. Uh, and um, most of the times they, 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 they struggle respecting us, respecting our identities. But um, we also have a lot of problem with um, gender segregated spaces where we go to perform. Mostly it's that, but we also had a bunch of beautiful experiences of going to distant towns and uh, having a full house and a standing ovation and uh, and it, it it's it's really valuable for us all that journey then during the covid pandemic due to social isolation measurements we 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 kind of ended ended up migrating to a more um audiovisual based form of entertainment. Um, Brazilian state actually invested a little money, but some money into cultural fundings. And we saw that as an opportunity to, to um, try movie making. And uh, we made a movie version of our show. And we also shot a documentary on uh, about transgender artists in the Brazilian circus history. And with this documentary, we try to discuss how transphobia, racism, and colonization erased our contributions from the circus history. As transgender circus artists, we keep on listening that um, we are uh, a new phenomenon to society, that that uh, people aren't ready to deal with us, to validate our identities. And we know we are not the only ones. We cannot be the only ones. 
And when we started to talk to elderly trans people, they told us um, very similar things. They told us something like, I thought I was the only one until I met you guys. So it showed us that we have been constantly erased, that our contributions have been con constantly erased from circus history. We transgender artists, we have been here for a long time now, and we've been um, sharing our narratives and we've been inventing new techniques and it should be, it must be recognized. Our contribution should be recognized. When you were doing <laughs> your research in, into um, the history of circus within Brazil and with transgender artists within that um, world, were you really able to dig up, you know, a lot of artists of the past who, in fact, were of your community? I mean, was that a surprise? Uh, how was that what you found? Yeah, we first of all, we had a hard time finding uh, written sources because we are usually erased from written history. Um, but we, we were able to find elderly trans artists and they talked to us. We, we got to know Cassandra. Cassandra is um, a magician. And she told us that she'd never met anyone like her in her, her whole life as a magician. She's the only trans feminine magician she knows. And uh, we, we met other LGBT people from circles and they all told us the same things. Like, I thought I was the only one. I never met anyone like me. And uh, it is hard for us to find, to find references. We had to, we had to uh, look really hard for it. But it, it made us think, it made us think that um, it might happen with us as well. I mean, we, we might be erased too. Nobody will remember our works and our existence uh, in a few years. We realized we needed to produce um, historic sources so that it won't happen anymore. Uh, so we tried to create this, um, this net of circus artists, of transgender circus artists, so that we can um, we can get to know each other and we can um, respect our journeys and we can uh, register it because we need it. Uh, we we talked to a famous Brazilian historian. She studies uh, circus history, and she told us um, she never found anything in her research about um, transgender artists in Brazilian circus. But it doesn't mean. Uh, it doesn't exist. It only means we have, we have been erased and we must um, search uh, within other terminologies, other uh, sources to be able to tell that story. Usually, um, we're dealing with um, uh, a non-written story. It's more like um oral story, how we call it in Portuguese. So uh, we oral have history. to... history, yeah. Yeah, oral history. Okay. Yeah, we're we're dealing with oral, oral history, and we have to we have to talk. We have to ask. We have to look for people and listen to their stories, and sometimes to ask them. But but didn't didn't you know anyone that like was queer back in your time? Anyone? It, it isn't possible we didn't know. And uh, we found out that they were there. People, queer people were there, but. Um, back then, there was much more like a um, silence politics. We don't talk about it. You shouldn't talk about it. You shouldn't be open about this. So it makes harder for us to find these references because of this uh, politics of silence. But uh, that's what we found out, and we hope that um, people can uh, make more researches on that. We need we need more more work on that. <laughs> it's just the so beginning. With your with your circus, uh, and I want to make sure I pronounce it correctly. Is Chia Fundo Mundo? Is that correct? 
idea from the mundo. All right, all right. <laughs> um, with your show, with your company, um, founding it with your partners, is it the only company that you know of in the world that is uh, primarily made up of transgendered artists and non-binary artists? This is the only one uh, as far as entertainment is concerned. I, I've never heard of any other company that's been founded by an exclusively featuring transgendered artists. Yes, as far as we know, we are the only ones in Brazil and we never met any other company in the world that's form formed entirely by transgender, non-binary and gender non-conforming artists. We, we, we actually don't want to be the only ones, but I guess we are, <laughs> as we far as we know. We have to start somewhere, of course. People, when we think of circus, of course, everyone thinks of it as this big, broad umbrella, this big, happy family. And, you know, I guess if we're going to compare to the rest of the world, we are, <laughs> you know, but usually we're just focused on cultures, uh, racial diversity, um, nationalities, different languages, even religions, and all of those things that come together. But as of recently, especially in the past two years, there's been a dynamic focus um, on the multi-abled community, um, which I'm a part of Omnium Circus. Uh, Lisa B. Lewis, who founded an Omnium Circus, omniumcircus.org. What I found interesting in, in reading about your circus is you're not only saying here, we made a platform for ourselves, which of course is a wise thing to do, which is, it, it makes sense to the history of all struggling peoples. Um, we've always had to do that. We've always had to make a space in the world for ourselves to express whatever it is we do, whatever that may be. But what we're seeing now is particularly from the circus world and what we're seeing even with Chio Fundo Mundo is you also have a component to your company where you reach out to the community and you're not only a part of the community, and but you're also teaching circus arts. How has that been received? It seems like it's a great idea, but how has that been re received? We want to act as a catalyst so that these people, um, we, we can share our tools with them, we can share our knowledge with them, so that they they can form their own collectives, they can start their own companies, and they can empower themselves. And we have lots of good and bad feedback from our audiences. Good feedback usually includes um, people tell us that by watching us, by watching our show, they realized they were transgender too. Um, they tell us that watching our show made them more open and tolerating towards diversity uh, without lacking humor and uh, provocative jokes. But on the side of the bad feedback, um, not everyone, but sometimes white cisgender heterosexual people accuse us of being aggressive and I guess when when they when they watch our show they realize they are not the center of the universe anymore they are just another group of humans and they don't like that they feel attacked by realizing they are not the the civilizational model anymore they are they are not the center of our narratives and they feel attacked and we are dealing with a lot of white fragility of cisgender fragility but I believe we are in the right path by doing that, by telling our stories, um, by our points of view. And for, for many friends of mine, watching us was a very empowering experience because they finally felt represented in humor and comedy and circus. And, um, many of them started, uh, practicing circus techniques because of us. And we try to, to connect, to um, facilitate this, um, this creation of communities uh, as we can 
So, I mean, the impact we're making is is pretty much, um, it's, it's bad and good. I mean, people receive it well, but there is some resistance. There is some hostility to what we've been doing because some of us, are, uh, some of some of these people, um, they accuse us of trying to like transform people and queer people, something like that. They 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 think what we do isn't exactly circus because circus should be uh, directed uh, to a familiar audience, and they don't think we have families. They don't think what we do is a a, a show that's suitable to a family. They think that necessarily we should like be occupying other spaces. We don't do circus. But as we researched uh, about circus history, we realized Brazilian circus was always open to changes. Uh, circus artists were always trying to, to understand what was going on uh, in the world. And they put that into their jokes and they put that into their acts. And for us, there's nothing more um, suitable to our existences than to talk about gender and gender issues and, and diversity, because this is what we are living. This is what we feel every day. So um, we think we, yes, we believe we are doing circus. We are making circus, but there is this, this hostility sometimes because of it. People would also tell us that we are not technically perfect. And there is a reason for that. We really don't aim for being technically perfect most of the times because we lack opportunities, like uh, opportunities of educational trainings and technical trainings. We, we cannot access those spaces to practice, to, to learn the techniques. So we really don't aim for a technically perfect show because we are aiming to tell a story. We want to tell another story. Uh, we want to create other narratives. This is what we aim for. So most of the times people would uh, criticize us for not being technically perfect, and we agree with that. We are not, but we don't want it to be an obstacle for anyone who wants to, to be a part of service. We want everyone to be able to be there and tell their story, and usually, they would accuse us and black people and ind indigenous people and um, disabled people for not being technically perfect. This is uh, recurrent. And we, we just wanted to, to reply by saying that we, we don't need to be that technically perfect circus artist to be there telling a story. We deserve to be, we deserve to be here and when we we stand up and we, we occupy a stage, what we are telling to our audience is that a transgender body is talented and powerful and beautiful. Most of the times uh, for our cisgender audiences, when they watch our show, it's the first time in their lives they're seeing a transgender artist perform. And sometimes it's the first time in their life they are seeing a transgender individual at all. So when we step up and we, we perform on a stage, we're telling them that we are powerful, that we can be there, that we have talents, that we have a story to tell, and that we could be admired, that when they applaud us, this is what it means for us. So we are trying to, to show people that we could we could be there as well, independently of how technically imperfect we are. <laughs> I think it's so powerful that, you know, when people take the reins of their own narrative. And I think with the arts, the performing arts, and especially with circus arts, it has a transcendent type of power where, you know, it gives voice to just about anyone who will venture into it and who would commit themselves and would bring their truth to it. 
it gives them a way of communicating safely with any audience. And it gives them an invitation to see us as fully human, you know, and I think that's the power of the art. I'm curious to understand the ups and downs of booking spaces, uh, setting up, you know, just the, the, the things that just go into any company, I suppose. And I'm assuming there has to be unique challenges. And you, you alluded to that earlier. Uh, sometimes promoters or producers find out, oh, my goodness, these are trans people Ugh, and they want to cancel the show or they don't know how to uh, promote it or present you or what have you. What are the challenges um, that you have as a founder in moving your show around, booking your show, presenting it to the public as you wish? Well, when we started, our main obstacle was um, was material, as I can say. I mean, we didn't have money, we didn't have the structure to, to run a show. So it was all based on friendship. I mean, we had friends and they, they believed in our work and they said, no, come, come here and perform your show. Uh, our first show costed us around $7. We spent $7 in buying clothes and glitter. And that was all, like $7 to perform a show. And we are used to- producers who would love that budget. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are used to like dealing with the lack of money to to run a show. Um, We used to do everything by ourselves. So, um, I don't know how to say that, but when you have aerial equipment, you have to to install it in the ceiling. The rigging. We do that. Yeah, rigging. We used to do the rigging. We used to do the lighting. We used to do the the sound designing. We we did our clothes. We did everything. We had to (laughs) because there wasn't any money. Uh, We started like that. And, um, And then then we started to um like venturing into a more institutionalized professionalized uh way of making service in brazil you have you have this possibility of performing in theaters and um in festivals and like venues and you have to you have to to know someone that works inside and that person would say oh yeah, I will try to bring you guys to, to perform your show here. And so it was all about friendship. We have to, we have to like connect to people and uh, hope that they will be allies to our, <laughs> our performing. And this is how we started. We started locally. And we started in this circus called uh, The Clown's House. It was owned by Pepe. Pepe was a... Uh, Pepe is a Spanish clown and he liked very much our work. And he said, no, uh, come here. This is your house. You, sh- you should perform here. And he was the ones, uh, he was the one since the beginning that was um, trusting our potential. Uh, we started there. Then we went to um, nearby cities and eventually we got to Sao Paulo. We have this um, dynamics in Brazil that um, Sao Paulo is kind of the cultural center. I mean, all the money circulates in there. And if you want to be recognized as a great artist, you somehow have to you have to go there. You have to be there and connect to those people and those producers and uh, those people. And we 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 started doing that um, through our friends from Sao Paulo. And uh, the first time we performed in Sao Paulo was at a circus tent from UNESP, which is uh, Sao Paulo University. They have a circus tent in that university and we performed there. And it was a full house and like everybody was there and we were like super, <laughs> we received this standing ovation and we we got in the news and it's, it, 
it kind of started the things for us. And then um, we got to know some producers from Sao Paulo and they, they helped us with this institutionalized uh, ways of earning some money to run our show. We have this um, in Sao Paulo, this um, cultural fundings, like we, you can apply to that. And if you get approved, um, they give you money to run a show or record a show or like something. And we started doing that, getting this, um, this cultural fundings um, way of making our show to, to happen. And, and this is what we've been doing. So um, with the pandemics, it became harder to connect, like to personally connect with our friends and to perform because actually um, performances were forbidden for a long time because of COVID. So we had to, we had to uh, migrate to social media to, to keep doing our job. We had to make Instagram videos. We had to, um, to produce videos for YouTube. And we started doing that. Uh, being a journalist helped me and helped us with that. We had to, to go for uh, new technologies to be able to continue our work. And this is where all the movie making started. So we've been experimenting a lot with this audiovisual circus thing. And it's been interesting because we, I guess um, we didn't know apart from like Cirque du Soleil, <laughs> I don't know, apart from them, we didn't know um, many circus companies that were venturing into the audiovisual uh, movie making thing. And we are trying that, but um, luckily we are getting back to the stages this year and we are going to perform in the LGBT key Circus American Latin Festival that's going to happen in Uruguay in September. And it's the first time we're going to perform outside Brazil. And we're very thrilled <laughs> to perform. <laughs> wow, congratulations. Now you're going to go global. This Thanks. Is I hope that's, so. very, that's very nice. That's very nice. Wow, that's, that's quite an adventure. I can't get over the fact that you basically started with nothing and just you know, just kind of uh, made it on the mercy of your friends and, and your yes. relationships, <laughs> which really is everything. You know, I, I think I, I tell my kids that all the time. I said, the number one skill you need is good relationships. How do you break up the responsibilities uh, between you all in with regards to the business, putting these things together, booking these shows you know, keeping everybody fed and paid um, and actually putting together a piece of art that is presentable. Well, um, we are all very talented and uh, we have different skills in our company. So we end up assuming what is more comfortable for each one. I usually take the tasks concerning um, writing and social media and uh, yeah, that, that part of the business, like writing releases to newspaper and uh, our web designing our website. Uh, I like to, to make the designs of our um, flyers, our like um, everything that we need, some kind of art. I like to do that. Um, Louis ends up taking more the, the producer role, Louis and Vulcanica. They are the ones that talk to people and they book the, the shows and they, they, they deal with the, the, um, the money. I, I am no good for dealing with money. They do that. And I'm so happy that they do that and they like doing that. And, uh, every, everybody does, does something different. Ellen and Noah, they, they also have their, their parts in the job. So 
every time we have a show, we, we kind of discuss um, between us who's going to take what, what role. And everybody ends up doing what, what sounds more comfortable for them. But with time, we realized it was too much for us to do everything. Like we used to do the reading, we used to do the lighting, we used to do the sound designing, and it, it's not possible to do that anymore in this uh, small company. So we have this um, this compromise of working with transgender and gender non-conforming professionals. We usually choose to work with transgender professionals because of that, because we know uh, we lack opportunities. So when we perform in a small town, we usually try to hire a transgender professional from the town, and we try to, to connect with trans folks, uh, local trans folks, so that we can uh, also like um, create uh, an impact um, in that community. We want to hire trans professionals to work with us every time we can because we, we have to share this uh, great amount of work and we want more and more professionals, trans professionals, to be, be able to, um, to, to enter this community of circus artists. So we try to, we try to do that, to, to share the, the, this, this huge load of work with other professionals we trust. But it ends up that because we live in such a hostile country to gender diversity, we usually work with our friends. We usually uh, see friendship as business and business involves friendship because we, we feel um, more comfortable with those people. They end up being our friends. And so it's kind of, it's kind of mixed up. I mean, we cannot separate very well a friendship from work because uh, when I have a friend, I want, I want him, I want her to succeed. So I end up helping that person to, to work. And uh, sometimes we end up working together. It, it kind of it works like that. It is very common for us to work with friends and uh, we used to live together. Um, until recently, like our company, we used to live in the same house and it helped us to organizing our business. But sometimes it gets a little bit too much, like you work with them, you are friends with them, you live with them. It's like... It's very <laughs> circus, just, my friend. Ah. It's very circus. <laughs> I know the feeling. It's very circus. <laughs> now, yeah. well, how, you know, it's kind I, of I did, overwhelming sometimes. I neglected to ask, um, how large is the company? How many members are in your company? We are in uh, five members. Me, Louis, Noah, Vulcanica, Ellen. We've oh. been five for a while now. All right. Now, are you looking to expand the company? Uh, are you looking to perhaps, as well... I mean, I would guess so. You're looking to grow it, um, or do you do you actually prefer it to be this small band of individuals um, who perform everywhere? But or do you want to just have a bigger company? Maybe welcome uh, newer artists. Well, uh, we talk about it a lot, but mostly because. We, we do want to connect with more artists, especially transgender artists, but we also, um, we also fear that um, growing our company might um, unbalance this very, very fragile um, dynamics we have. It works, it works as it is, and it, it is so hard like that five individuals, they, they sometimes they can live together, they are friends and they work together and it works. So we, we feel that growing it might tear it apart. It is maybe a silly fear, but it is real for us because for us, art and work are, um, are so hard 
to to get to work like it's it's so hard to succeed on that especially being transgender that we don't want to mess with that but we do want to uh, stimulate other companies other circus companies other transgender artists to form their own companies and we do like to co-work to work with um, people we like we admire and we want to to propose um projects together we do like to do that but as for our company for now we prefer to work in five because it's 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 going well that way where do you see the future of circus at least from your perspective um where you occupy where you're actually uh building a new legacy one would say where do you see the future of circus from that perspective there is this intellectual I admire a lot. Her, uh, she's called Liv Sovic, and she says something I like. I like a lot. She says that colonization has left uh, a poisonous legacy to Brazilian culture, and that we should put our efforts into creating ideas that work as an antidote to that poisonous legacy. And I believe this is what we have to do. We have to to create shows, circus acts, that work as an antidote to that poisonous legacy from colonization. We have to, to break those, bias that, those biases that uh, are the foundations of every joke you, you hear, every, every circus act you watch. They are usually based on that, and we don't want that anymore. We have to change that. So I believe the future goes um, on this perspective of changing the way we tell the narratives, who tells the narratives, who tells the stories, who is there occupying the stage, and how is that circus act um, organized? How is that? Is it technically perfect? Is it only a technique display? Or is that person telling a story? Is that person making you think, making you laugh? Uh, what what is that person doing? And uh, besides that, I also believe that we have to experiment in different ways. It would be good if we would uh, if we could experiment more with audiovisual, but not everyone can yet. I don't know if we will someday. It dawned on me that you know among all of the things you do, uh, you know, being a musician, being an aerialist. You also do some clowning. Yes. So I'm curious to know, what is the style of your clowning? Because as you mentioned, um, one of the things, of course, that uh, did uh, keep you away from circus before you delved into it was, you know, how humor was used um, with regards to your community. How do you use humor? Um, how do you, what's your interpretation of humor? How do you use it? Um, do you use it in, in a way that's satirical, that maybe punches up, as that's the term we use, where we say, you know, you punch up, not punch down, or where you sort of bring, you know, I guess the elite down to earth, where it's sort of the scenario of the, the um, uh, of, of the fool and the king or something like that. How do you use your, um, your abilities with regards to clowning and humor? Well, uh, this is interesting <laughs> and uh, very challenging. It is very challenging for me to to explore clownery. Um, but the the idea of making a clownery act came from the discomfort we felt as a company that um, after performing, sometimes. Uh, our audience would come to us and would talk to us about the show and they would uh, perceive us as trans-feminine folks. And uh, we, we thought it was, it was so curious, like we, we, we just performed a whole show about uh, being trans and after that they still thought we, we were like uh, trans-feminine, we were Travis, Travis Chi. How we call it in Portuguese. They didn't think we were non-binary 
are uh, transmasculine. And it, it made us think that we, are, we were dealing with um, this um, invisibility of non-binary and transmasculine bodies, especially in humor, like we don't exist. We are not represented in the medias, uh, in the main media, we, are, we don't exist. So we wanted to create a clownery act about being transmasculine and being invisible. So we have this act, um, I played this act with Louis and Nolan. We are in this bus station, waiting for the bus. And uh, nobody knows the other one is transmasculine. We just assume the other one is a cisgender man. So we try to hide our uh, identities. It's like the, the story goes like that. We try to hide our identities as a way to survive, but it, it, end up, it, it ends up being um, comic because it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous to, to perform uh, masculinity in a cisnormative way. So we, we, ended, we end up um, performing like clowns by trying to hide our gender identities from the others. And it, it goes escalating to an absurd until uh, the end when we, we find out that the other one is also transmasculine. So we go like, ah, oh, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> so it, it ends okay. up. I get you. So I, mean, <laughs> you, I know, I get it. I, that's interesting. So you use your clowning almost in, in uh, a pseudo self-deprecating way, like where you're actually telling the story of your particular journey within your particular group. I mean, where you could be in these particular situations. And it's interesting where you could even have assumptions of your own, even living in a world that assumes so much of you or just uh, makes you invisible. And you use that with clowning within that particular scenario. That's uh, pretty interesting. That's pretty yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because, I mean, as transgender, as transmasculine, people, we feel like a constant failure to masculinity. I, I, I feel like a constant failure when I try to perform that um, normative masculinity, but I also want to be a failure. So this, this, act, uh, this, act, this act brings it, this, this anguish for being a failure, but in a, in a comic way, like we obviously, don't perform that normative masculinity, but we try so hard to do that, that it becomes ridiculous. Yeah. And the ridiculous is not, it's not, uh, our identities are not ridiculous here. We, we make sure of it. We want to make fun of the, the normativity. The ridiculous is the normativity, like that uh, impels so us to have to turn perform. It on its head. In a sense, you turn yeah. it. Okay, that's it. That's really fascinating, and I think that that's a tribute to, of course, the 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 art of clowning. You know, the clowning. I think really is really the only art form where you can pull something like that off, where you can make something that otherwise, without the humor, without the grease paint, would probably be a traumatizing type of situation, where you could actually put humor in it and you actually, it's sort of therapeutic <laughs> just seeing the ridiculous nature yes. of what's going on. I think that's pretty, uh, uh, that's fascinating. Uh, I, last thing, because I'm so grateful for your time. I mean, you're all the way over in Brazil and I mean, you're in a really uh, gorgeous place over there. So you probably want to really be enjoying yourself and not be talking to some gringo right now. But, um, you know, I'm curious to know how, how, um, you know, in the positive sense, do you have you encountered, let's say, trans youth, um, a young person who has come to your show or heard about your show and felt safe or, you know, has seen a space where maybe they're a frustrated artist or they feel they may have an inclination towards circus? in the performing arts, and they may have never seen anyone like them or within their spectrum. 
doing that at that level, have you had those encounters with people from your audience who are just that? We are really happy to be able to represent our community in the stage. And for us, it means the whole world. I mean, um, those encounters, they mean so much for us. They keep us doing what we do. It's That's why we do it. Uh, but sometimes it also puts us in a place of um, huge responsibility because we lack so much good representation that when we, we step up to, to perform on a stage, it's almost like we're dealing with this responsibility of representing everybody. And we cannot do that. It's not possible to do that. We obviously, we are obviously going to fail in some things. We are going to, to make mistakes because we, we also don't have references. Like we are trying and we cannot uh, represent everybody even though we try. So sometimes it is hard because um, yes, people, people see us on the stage and they feel like so thrilled but I want them to know that they should be there too. We cannot do that alone. And we need more people stepping up and uh, telling their stories because my story might be different from yours and I cannot represent you. I cannot even aim to represent you. It is a huge responsibility for us to be this um, transgender, uh, this company formed entirely by transgender because we constantly feel like we cannot make mistakes, especially now with social media. It's like we cannot, we cannot make mistakes. We have to represent everybody and we won't and we assume we won't. And um, we, we are very open to receiving um, feedback. It is important for us to, to also be open to listening, to learning, to improving our work. We have to. We, we, we cannot, we, we are not perfect. So, uh, in one hand, these encounters, they, they move us, they mean everything for us. And on the other hand, we worry sometimes that we might, uh, feel responsible for representing everybody because we lack good representation and we cannot do that. It is not possible for us to, to fulfill this huge gap we have in representation. We need more. It's beautiful, but it's also hard for us because it demands a great responsibility to be it's, in this It's the place. burden of being an innovator, you know? It's, it's the burden of being uh, a pioneer. <laughs> You know, you're you you and your company, you're pioneers. And uh, that's, you know, it comes with the territory, you know, and I, I, it's really uh, wow. This has been fun talking with you. Yeah, I knew it was. I remembered our last conversation and it was really exhilarating and very um, eye opening for me. And I appreciate you taking the time. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages and everyone in between, my friend and yours, the wonderful Juno Nadal of Chia Fundo Mundo. Thanks, my friend. Thank you so much for your time and interest. Thank you for your kindness, too. We would like to thank Juno Nadal for joining us here on Circus Voices Podcast. Be sure to tune in for episode two of Circus Voices Presents Circus Reimagined with guest Lisa B. Lewis, founder and executive director of Omnium Circus. This special edition of Circus Voices Presents Circus Reimagined is a co-production between Circus Talk and Incentering. Join Circus Talk Pro today. If you do not already have a Circus Talk profile, I invite you to create one and to upgrade to Pro. If you are a talent, take advantage of the newest profile fields that make you stand out in talent searches. And if you are a talent seeker, do not miss out on accessing over 30,000 talent profiles from 193 countries. We have a special offer for Circus Voices listeners. 
Receive 15% off your annual membership by using the code CIRCUSVOICES2022. Our podcast design was created by Emily Holt and music was composed by Book Kennison. You can follow the Circus Voices podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.